0: How would you like to be known for the rest of your life by the worst thing you ever did? Think about that statement. And yet, is there someone that in your mind's reputation you only know them by the worst thing that you know they did? How would you like somebody doing that to you? If you listen to this lady, real life experiences. And this is tough. It confronts us. Because you see, we want to say our story is different than theirs. The first video, a young man causing a daughter to die because of the wrong choices he made. Second video, a mother taking the life of three children it really confronts us. If you listen to that lady, she said, if there's one thing she regrets, it's that she spent so many years wallowing in the effect of what happened. I wonder, would that describe you I mean, it's not just been days or weeks. It's moving into months and years. It does us no good to hold on to hurt that comes into our life. Satan would want us to hold on to that because that will be like corrosion. That will just eventually eat us alive. Some of us have been hurt by other people. And some of us have hurt other people. And we have a problem. I want you to look at the screen. Sort of a review. The reason some of us get locked into problems. Look at number one. Something happens that hurts you. I mean, it's real. It it really happened. It hurt you. And you would tell me, but you don't understand. It didn't happen to you. Number two, you take it too personal. You see, we're all going to take hurt personal. Nobody likes to be hurt. I don't like to be hurt by my wife. I don't like to be hurt by my children. I don't like to be hurt by my friends. I don't like to be hurt by church folks. I don't like Christians to hurt me. But we take it too personal. We take it too personal. We know that because we begin internalizing that hurt by doing number three. You begin telling yourself and maybe others an epic story about how unfair and wrong that hurt was in your opinion. And boy, every time you see that person, you think about that person, you think of that epic story. And believe me, if people are close to you, someday they'll say what's wrong with you today and you will tell that epic story. That's how you know you're taking it too personal. You can't let it go. It has control of you. It has control of your mind. And the epic story becomes more Listen, as you tell it, it becomes more about blaming that person for why your life can't be good today. He was disloyal to me. It has ruined my life. She left me. She betrayed me. This happened to me whenever I was young. And I can't be healthy today. The epic story ends up turning to the place that you blame the one who hurt you for why today you cannot experience the peace of God. That's why I'm I'm spending four sermons talking about it. Because you see, you hear one, you say, it sort of jogs your mind. You say, yeah, you know, that that could be me. But you hear two and you start saying, that might be me. Now the third one, you might say, I don't want to hear anymore if you want to keep your epic story and you want to hold on to the hurt hopefully by the fourth one, you're willing to say, you know what? I've got to let go of that hurt. I've got to let go of that hurt. This is the third sermon in a series of four sermons that I have titled Freedom from Your Pain. Okay? In the first sermon, I took the experience when, when we see Cain being hurt because of the situation in relationship with God, understand that you who are here, you can listen to it on the internet. Cain was hurt in the situation of a relationship with God, and he became jealous of his brother, and it became his epic story, and he killed his brother. And all God said to him was, "Cain, if you would just do what's, if you would just do what's right." You wouldn't be angry and you wouldn't look so burdened. And that's what God is saying in all of these four sermons. If you and I will only do what's right, we won't be so angry because of that hurt. And it won't burden us. And the second sermon dealt with Paul's words in the New Testament. Which is more of a generic thought. He said, listen, what a person plants... A person will grow in their life. In their experiences. If you've been in church for a long time, you've heard, what you sow, you reap. There's people in society don't even know that's a biblical thought and teaching that comes out of God's Word and they'll say, oh, be careful what you sow. You'll reap what you sow. But Paul was telling us what you plant is what grows in your life. And if you plant this hurt in your mind, if you plant your epic story again and again and again, what will grow is so much unpeace, so much dissatisfaction, so much blaming, and you'll get trapped. And today I'm going to talk about a sermon that I've titled, If You Want Pain, Why Not Just Hit Your Head Against a Wall. When I played football, my tackle. I remember one day I was going through the locker room getting ready to, go to practice and Mickey was standing there and he was hitting his head against the wall. No helmet on. hit his head against the wall. And I said, Mickey, what are you doing? He says, I'm making my head tough. If you want pain, you might as well hit your head against the wall. That hurts. And you keep holding on to your hurt And it's going to bring pain. And there's some people who can't get away from the pain of the past. And they will say, but you don't understand. It didn't happen to you. And I'll say again, you don't know everything that happened to me. Many of my messages come out of my life's experience. And there are people who still have pain of something that is owed because they hold on to it. They won't forgive it. They won't let it go. And it causes pain. And they blame. And it causes them pain. And listen, what I've seen in working with people is it not only causes pain to the individual, it causes pain to their family, their mom and dad who loves them, their children who love them, their friends who love them. Man, if they'd only get over that, their life would be so much better. but they refuse to get over it and they find no freedom from their pain. The victim decides to hold on to the hurt and all the victim does is keep bringing the hurt back into their life. The person who did the hurt may have moved on and apologized or changed their life and doesn't do that kind of stuff anymore, but the victim holds on. That first video, if you remember the father or the daughter that was... Killed by the young man? He said, all I ask is do you a change. How would you like to be known for the rest of your life by the worst thing you ever did? Some people in your mind have changed, but you still hold on to that worst thing, that hurt. Well, I'd like you to open your Bibles if you've got them or your app on your phone to 1 Samuel. Now, this is Old Testament, so start the back of your Bible, I mean the front of your Bible, and just go to your table of contents and you can find a page number. It's it's the eighth or ninth book. You know, a lot of people know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then they're lost. Okay? Well, just keep going about three more books. I tell you how you find 1 Samuel. It's how you find 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1. Chronicles, Second Chronicles, you just start fanning from the front of your Bible and you're going to hit those books. It's, there's too many pages. And so if you get that, then go back to 1 Samuel. I want us to look in just a little bit at this Scripture. Okay? Before we do, I want to call attention to your worship handout. And there's an article in there on the center page about Celebrate Recovery training. We know Celebrate Recovery has touched the lives of people. It's touched my life. I stay in it, and I've been in it for years because I am in constant recovery. I'm smart enough to know when I think I've got it under control, I don't need to be around people who help me with that. I relapse. Well, we've been doing Celebrate Recovery for four years. Come January, we will be four and a half years in the Celebrate Recovery here at Connection. We want to send our lead team... The CR lead team to training in Florida. We can either send California, which up to last year was the only place you could get training for celebrate recovery. But now they've put it on the East Coast so we don't have to maybe fly and we can drive. And that's what we want to do, drive to Florida. But to do that, we've got to raise five thousand dollars. And so you look at that. You consider if you'd like to help that lead team, even if you're not in Celebrate Recovery, there's envelopes out there. Celebrate Recovery Training. You just put your money, your check, or whatever in that. We've got a couple months to raise that. Okay? So think about that. See if you can help. And then also I want to say a lot of you have just come up to me and said, you're concerned. How am I doing? Thank you very much. Okay? Okay? I've got a serious problem. I'm not afraid to share that. But if you know me, I don't like to bring my situation so much into the pulpit unless it's an illustration because I want to lift up Jesus and what God wants for us to learn. So if you want to know more about my condition, just walk up to me and say, what's going on health-wise? I'm not afraid, not in denial. I will share it. Here's what I need. Because so many of you saying, I'm praying for you. And when you say that to me, I, I tell you what I need prayer for. About six weeks ago, I said, uh, I've lost 29 pounds. I'm not the man I was before. Okay? Every bump of my body now sticks out. Okay? So, six weeks ago, I said, I just don't want to put food in my stomach. It doesn't sit comfortably. I ask you to pray on a Sunday morning didn't take quite as long as I'm taking now. Just pray that I can put food in my stomach. It worked. I wasn't getting nauseous. I was eating food. Then I, about three weeks ago, I asked, I said, I'd like you if you were here on that Sunday morning, <clears throat> I said, food stay in my stomach, but I have no appetite, so I don't want to eat food. And I prayed. By the end of that week, I told my wife, Laura, I said, you know what? I'm starting to taste the food. And I started developing a desire for certain foods. The appetite came back. Now my doctor has said, you've got to put on weight. you got to quit losing it. Okay? you got to quit losing it. Every day or two, I'm a pound less. Because you've got to be healthy enough for the treatment. So here's what I need. I need you to pray that God will help me put on weight. I don't need to put on 20 pounds. I need to stop the loss, put on 5, 7, eight pounds. And so I appreciate that. If you want to know how to pray for me, pray for that. You see, because this problem's either going to go away because God takes it away or it's going to go away because the doctor takes it away. Okay? So that's what I need for prayer. I need you to pray that I'll put weight on. Okay? And if you tell me you're praying for me and I haven't told you, I'm going to say pray that I'll put weight on. Right now, I'd like to lead us in prayer concerning this message. Let's bow together. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for this, this environment Gosh, God, thank You so much for unselfish people who refuse to sit in chairs but get up and play instruments. Boy, thank You for that. Thank You for the experience I had in that because of their giving of themselves. Now, God, I just lift up with these people asking that You'd help us to see from this passage in Samuel Give us insight into how this might deal with our situation of hurt that we're holding on to. Please, Father, get our attention and help us to see how your words in the life of one of the Bible characters applies to us today. Give us that insight. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. Okay, Samuel is writing about the king and he's going to tell us some information. The king is King Saul, first king of Israel, okay, first king of Israel, okay, so look there at the fifth verse, 1 Samuel 18, verse 5, or look on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I've said this before, it's not the best study Bible, be accurate with the Greek and the Hebrew. Old Testament Hebrew, New Testament, basically Greek, English Standard Version Bible, maybe the best study Bible, but I use this because the people we're trying to reach are people who don't go to church or have disassociated with church. This is easiest, I feel, to follow. Okay, So verse 5, whatever Saul asked David to do, King Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war. In other words, he gave him some authority. Okay? An appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's Saul's officers alike. In other words, other people saw. David's a responsible man. Give him some authority. Verse 6, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine. Now let me stop. That's a sermon in its own right. The Philistine is the giant Goliath. Okay? And when David killed Goliath, He was recognized because, you see, no other person in Israel, not even the king himself, would fight Goliath. In other words, a volunteer was being asked, will you play an instrument? No, I don't want to. Will you help vacuum? No, I don't want to. Will you help cook popcorn? No, I don't want to. Will you invite a family member to come to connection? No, I don't want to. You see, I can guarantee you Nobody here is going to be asked to go fight a giant nine-foot man. Okay? Our giants are much different. And a volunteer was requested. And nobody would volunteer but David. And so now, it's after that experience when David killed that giant. That would be a great passage to study. But when we study it, you probably wouldn't like The application, because the application says, how come you're not volunteering for Kid Frock? See? And things like that. Because that's the giant in your life. Matt made a prayer. In his prayer earlier, he said, I wrote it down. He talked to God. He says, help us live our life. How you would want us to live life. Not how we would want to. David Lived his life the way God wanted to. And so he's being recognized. It goes on. David had killed the Philistines. Women from all over the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. Look what they say. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands. What a great man. And David his ten thousands. Uh Uh-oh. You know, this would be like saying... Hey, Dad, you're a good dad. But boy, my friend's dad, he's awesome. Catch that? This, this, this would be like saying, you're a good preacher, Mike Davis, but David Jeremiah and Joe Osteen, man, they know how to say it. Or, or boy, Mom, you're a good cook. My friend's mom, she makes the best. Have I hit anybody yet? That's what this is like for King Saul. Look at verse 8. This made Saul very angry. David is killed, or Saul, King Saul's killed his thousands, David is ten thousands. Saul gets hurt. What's this? He said. They credit David with 10,000 and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. Saul's not only taking it personal and got angry, he recites the statement and he takes it too personal that he begins assuming King Saul's king. But he's assuming this is not going to be good for me in the future. Often when we're hurt, that's what we do. Look, he goes on verse 9. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. You see, when you're hurt by someone, you tend to watch them and you become very critical about them. If you don't like me, you find reasons to be critical. If you don't like Matt, you find reasons to be critical. If you don't like the drummer, you find reason to be critical. If you don't like the popcorn popper, the person, you find reason to be critical. You see, we find reasons to be critical when we don't like someone. And so, Saul becomes jealous. He keeps his eyes on David. Now, jump down to verse 29. Look what it says there. Saul became even more afraid of him, David, and he remained David's enemy for the rest of his life. You see, he's taking this so personal that he's refusing to get over his hurt. He's internalizing his hurt and he's beginning to tell himself an epic story. Again, and again, and again, again. Now the Bible doesn't say again, again, again. It's like the Bible doesn't say Cain told an epic story. Well, this isn't fair. What did Abel do that God honored him and God doesn't honor me? Man, I don't like Abel. Abel must have said something about... You know, that wasn't... See, you get that epic story. And Saul is getting that epic story that for the rest of his life, he considered David an enemy. I tell you, read 1 Samuel. See how committed David was to Saul but Saul had felt this hurt and Saul has taken it too personal and he creates this epic story he's hurt and he blames David for his hurt and he becomes David's enemy and for the rest of David's life David's going to be known by Saul as his enemy Saul was empowering the hurt that he felt Saul was was giving power to that hurt We would read this and say, this is crazy. And you know what? Your parent or your child or your friend looks at you and say, they may not say it to you out loud, but they say, this is crazy how you're empowering what somebody did to you that hurt you. Saul is empowering his hurt. And so it becomes his epic story. If you've got your worship handout, look at the blank. Fill in that blank. Because I'd like you to read these scriptures later because they're listed. And I'd like you to look at the blanks and I'd like you to let God speak to you through Saul and David and what you might remember or recall because of this information. Look at that first blank there. Your epic story becomes a habit of blaming others for what is happening in your life. And that's what an epic story becomes. It becomes a habit. It becomes a habit. Anything that that clicks in us excuse me, that deals with that hurt we have a habit of going back to our epic story no matter what happened in the past see if if you're not willing to get over that hurt and forgive the person responsible you tend to hold on to that hurt and instead of looking for solutions to it you see somebody says have you ever thought maybe you ought to go to counseling have, have you ever thought maybe you ought to go talk to the pastor Somebody says, have you ever thought maybe you ought to read this book It deals with overcoming hurts? See, instead of looking for solutions, you blame. You blame. See, that's what happens. And you don't look for what God wants to do inside you. You keep empowering that person who hurt you with your epic story. Look at the next blank on the worship handout. When we blame someone for our troubles, we remain trapped in the past, and extend the hurt. And that's what Saul did. Saul felt David's, uh, excuse me, his, his popularity with the people, and Saul took it too personal that Saul decided, I want David out of my life. Now, now listen to me. When somebody hurts us, and we don't get over it, that's what we tend to do. I want nothing to do with that person. I don't want to see that person. I don't want to be where that person is. I don't want that person to be around me. Saul wants David out of his life. If you've got your Bible or your app, go to chapter 19, verse 1. There's just not enough time to take you through all the verses, 18, 19. I don't want to get to the 20th chapter, but look what chapter 19, verse 1 says. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. See, Saul now wants David out of his life. His epic story has become so true in his mind David is a terrible, terrible person. For the rest of David's life, David is going to be remembered by Saul, or really for the rest of Saul's life, but for the rest of David's life, in Saul's mind, David's going to be remembered by what Saul considers the worst thing that has happened. David's become more popular than me. And he has moved in his epic story that he's not only jealous and keeping his eye on David, now he's telling people You should get on my side and have nothing to do with him. Matter of fact, just kill him. And so, when somebody hurts you and other people try to relate, you know what you do if you don't get over it? You say, how can you hang out with him? I don't consider you a friend. I don't want to be around you. See, I want you to assassinate them in your mind. I want you to assassinate them from your life. We we, we tend to want to do that with ex-mates. See, broken... Families are a reality. We have to deal with that. And we want people to assassinate our ex-mates like us, but you've got to deal with them again and again. Especially if you had children. Saul is internalizing this hurt. He is telling an epic story. And it has reached a place he says, kill David. I want him off. The face of the earth. I want him out of my life. I don't ever want to see him again. Are you doing that to someone else? Right now. Think in your mind. Are you doing that to someone else? Is that your brother? You, you, nothing to do. Is that your uncle? Is that that person you worked with three years ago? Have you just done that? This week to someone? Someone? Look at the next blank on your worship handout. Your epic story, if you keep telling it, will lead you to make what I call unenforceable rules for those you blame. Okay? Now I want to explain unenforceable rules. On your worship handout, I've written it. Instead of you writing things, so you can take this and look at this. This is what I have seen whenever I've worked with people who hold on to hurt, and they create the epic story, they begin, they'll they'll talk to me, and they'll, they'll... They'll vocalize unforceable rules. See? First thing, you try to change or influence those who do not want to be changed or influenced. In other words, this is the way you think it ought to be done. You've been hurt. You've been hurt by your pastor. You've been hurt by a leader. You've been hurt by your supervisor. You've been hurt by your parents. You've been hurt by your brother. You've been hurt by your mate. You know, your mate cheated on you. How could they do that? Do they love you? Or you've been hurt by somebody who divorced you. You've been hurt by a, a parent who abandoned you. See, I, I could just try to name all those hurts. And what you do, you blame them for why you sort of sour. Not, not sour in your life. Sour when you think of that person. Because you see, you're making an unenforceable rule. You want that person to change. And you try to influence them. Change, but they're not going to change. They're not going to be influenced by you. And so, you kick into Saul. It becomes your epic story. Believe me, you'll tell your brother, sister, mom, dad, uh, anybody who will listen, other people who have to relate to that person, they'll say, what's wrong? Why don't you? And you'll tell all those stories. The epic story. Again and again and again. Because you're creating an unenforceable rule. Number two, you have an expectation of how someone should think or behave. That becomes an unenforceable rule. I have expectations, but i 'm going to tell you if I for my children, but if I hold all those, my children are adults they 're going to make decisions i 've got to find ways to relate to them in love, even if i don 't always agree with their decisions. Connection tries to do that with people in the world. Grab our fish card, our business card out there, but we call them fish cards. Look on the back that statement if we identify people who are caught up in wrong behavior. We want to relate to them. You see, we we say, yeah, that's what we want to do with people who need Jesus. But how about your mate or your ex-mate? How about your parent or your uncle or your brother or your sister? How about some leader or supervisor? Are you making unenforceable rules? Look at number three. You try to make something be a certain way, and when you do not have the power to make it, be that way. See, unenforceable rules just lead through this. First you try to influence, then you try to share your expectation to get them to change, and they don't change, they don't become the way you want them to become. And what happens when you do this, listen, how do you know, you? I've told you how you know you make an epic story, because you're telling people. Or it always comes into your mind. How do you know you're making unenforceable rules because When you make unenforceable rules with someone who hurt you, and see, they're not going to change. They're not going to go the way you want them to do. What happens is, emotionally you get distressed. Emotionally it begins trying to break you down. Because you can't control. And see, you don't see that. That's the problem. You want to control it. Oh, no way. Listen. You don't know that person, what they did to me. But you see... You, you, you've shared with them, you've encountered with them, you, you've talked with them, and you can't change them? And so you become emotionally distressed because you see you can't control them. That's the problem you have. I'm not okaying their behavior, wrong behavior. But often it's not even wrong behavior. David hasn't done anything wrong in this story. That's why I use it. David hasn't done anything wrong. It's in the mind of the person who holds on to the hurt and tells the epic story. And now he's distressed, and so he tells his servants, and he tells his son Jonathan, kill the man! Have nothing to do with him. Get away from that person. And what you will do, listen to me, you will become angry and bitter to anyone who tells you you need to just lay this down and get over it and get back to being what God wants you to be? Oh, that makes you so mad. So mad. Early in my marriage, when my wife would do that, you've heard me say this. I'd say, "You're just a little Jesus. Because see, I was still living that rebellion. See, you become angry and you become bitter. And what you eventually do, you become despondent to any advice from the person who says, you need to get over this. You need to let it go. This is, this, this, you, 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 you can't control the situation. You can't control that person. And you say, no way am I going to do that. And boy, your anger and bitterness, I'm going to tell you again, it impacts the very people who love you the most. Because it crushes their hearts. Because they, they have so much hope for you. Look at the worship handout, Nick blank. When we make unenforceable rules, we only end up hurting ourselves by making them. That's what they are. I know, I know what unenforceable rules are. I could give you illustration, illustration in my life. Man, all you do is hurt yourself. That's all you do. Look, I've learned this. I can't make a person change their behavior. I can love them in spite of their behavior. I can't make a person change their thinking. That's the stupidest thing I think you could think. No, I can't change a person's thinking. I can only love them in spite of their thinking. I can't control the lives of others. Pastor, you ought to tell this person. I might tell them, but I can't control the lives of others. See, I've learned unenforceable rules. All they do is hurt me. That's all. Look at the next blank in your worship handout. It is hard to make good decisions when you are being hurt by your own unenforceable rules. You see, what happens with unenforceable rules, not only you tell the epic story, but you litter your mind with, it'd be so much better. Now, listen. You want to say for them and everybody else if this person changed, but really, you're really saying, it'd be so much better for me if they just change. See, It's hard to make good decisions when you are being hurt by your own unforceable rules because you litter your mind with so much that is not good. Look at the next blank. To overcome the negative impact of an epic story, you must let the hurt go. You must forgive. And to forgive is not saying... Listen, to forgive is not saying the action someone did is Okay. Wrong action is wrong action. I don't have time to talk about that. People are accountable for wrong action. But to forgive is not saying it's okay what you did. To forgive is to move on from the hurt that you experienced. Look at the last blank on your worship handout. While you did not cause the hurtful thing to happen, you are responsible for how you think, behave, and feel since the hurtful event happened. See, it is your life and you are to let God have it. It is your feelings. You are to let God have them. It is your reaction. And it is to be, God, how do you want it to be? What do you want it to be? If we had time to look at David, we can see David. Even though Saul wasn't what David wanted him to be, David stayed faithful to what God would want him to do. And David, if we read his story, he told others to stay faithful. Even the king saw. And so when somebody hurts you, it's your reaction, your emotions. It's your life God wants. And you may tell people, listen, what they did wasn't right, but I've forgiven them, and I hope you will. You see how you impact others? and what God wants? Your child grows up and says, I never knew that. Boy, you must have been hurt when that happened years ago. And you say, I was. I was devastated. But I want you to understand. I have forgiven. I wish they wouldn't have ever done that. But I have forgiven. And now that you know, I hope you will forgive them. If you don't, you form a habit. Listen, habits don't develop in one day, two days, one week. Habits develop over time. And you keep talking about that one person again and again with your epic story, you will develop a habit of bringing this hurt up again and again and again. And you're the one that gets hurt. As I said, the person who hurt you, they may have moved on. They may have died. They might have changed. But you see, You are not listening to what God wants for you. And I'm going to say again, it eats you up inside when somebody tells you you ought to change. You've got to let that go. Now, let's look at 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter. Look at Samuel. I said it eats you up when somebody says that you need to stop. You need to change. 20th chapter, verse 30. Saul boiled with rage at Jonathan. Jonathan is Saul's son. Jonathan was a friend of David's. It always makes us mad when people hurt us. Have friends. Because if you're my friend, you don't have anything to do with somebody to hurt me. Saul boiled rage at Jonathan. You stupid son of a whore! Uh, you think he's mad? Yeah, some of you already said it. You shouldn't have said that statement. You stupid son of a whore! He swore at him. Look what he says. Do you think I don't know that you want him to be king in your place? Shaming yourself and your mother. Now listen, I'm going to tell you, this is what happens. When you get an epic story and you make unenforceable rules, you say things in your mind that aren't true about that person or anybody who's relating to that person. Saul is saying, Jonathan, you want David to be king, not me. That's a shame. Your mom's queen. That's a shame. You want me kicked out of kingship? You want mom kicked out of kingship? You're not honoring me because you won't take my side. That's that's what Saul is doing. That's what he's doing. Look at 31. As long as that son of Jesse is alive, David is son of Jesse, you'll never be king. (laughs) Don't you realize this person hurt me and they're going to hurt you one day. That's what Saul is saying. You shouldn't hang out with those kinds of people. They hurt me. They hurt my family. They're going to hurt you and your family. See, he's saying, don't you realize he's going to hurt your opportunity to be the next king because you're my son. And back then, that's how they thought. Now look at 32. Here, here's that. It eats you up when somebody says, you know, you've you got to change. But why should he be put to death? Jonathan asked his father. What has he done? You don't think Jonathan heard the epic story? He hurt me. Then Saul, verse 13, then Saul hurtled his spirit, Jonathan, intending to kill him. In other words, now listen, this is what we do. You hurt me. I take it too personal. I create an epic story. My wife, Laura, or my four children, better not be your friend. Because I want you to. Separated from my life, and I want those people who say they're my friends to separate you from my life. That's what's happening here. You, you, this is what's great about God's Word. If this was all a myth, it wouldn't show us how our humanity works. God is real because God knows it's our sinful humanity that causes us to be broken. And others to be broken. And our relationships to be broken. And God doesn't want that. That's why Christ came. He came to mend our relationship with God Himself. And He came to mend our relationship with one another. That's what the cross is all about. You've heard all your life, if you've gone to the church, it misinterprets this. Jesus died, so you won't go to hell, and you'll go to heaven. And that's all some people think about Jesus. No, Jesus died so you could be set free from death and you could be set free from your sin. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus went to the cross so that I could have a relationship with God and Jesus went to the cross so I could have a relationship with other people. Good people and bad people. Look on the screen. Look at this statement. We overcome our hurtful experiences by listening to what God says. That's how we overcome. Now, now I've, I've done a lot of giving my opinion, my ideas. I've tried to tie it in the Scriptures. That's why you need to read it when you're home by yourself. You can take some of my thoughts, the blanks are my thoughts, but you need to let God speak to you. You see, we overcome our hurt experience by listening to what God says, and then listen. You need to do what God says you are to do with that person or persons. And for some of us, Man, we're carrying around a bag load of people who've hurt us. And we need to do what God says. So what does God say? Well, the Bible says this. Look on the screen. For the sake of time. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and 8. I'm reading out the contemporary English version. It's a little bit easier to understand even than the New Living Translation. Look, look at the screen. When people... Look what he says. Okay. The context is... This is to the church, and somebody has hurt people in the church. Okay? Somebody has hurt that church experience. When people sin, now listen, we all have. You have sinned, I have sinned, okay? And our sin brings in hurtful experiences. I have to tell Laura, I'm sorry, many times. Because my sin will want to break my relationship with her. I have to tell my children sometimes. Gosh, three or four years ago, I, my daughter's here. Just this week visiting with her. I again brought up, I can't believe three or four years ago, whatever, she knew the situation. How mean I was to you. All you're trying to do is help me. I am so sorry. Now she's able to laugh and I'm able to laugh about it. What if I would have never amends? You would say, well, she ought to love me anyway. But it sure makes it a lot easier when you make amends. See, it says... When people sin, and we all do, you should forgive and comfort them. Wow! We tell you what real forgiveness does: it not only lets it go, it seeks to comfort. Jesus said in Luke six, "Do good to them who hurt you, bless them who curse you." You see, forgiveness. Now, now, I'm not telling you somebody hurt you right now to forgive. You've got to process through the hurt. But somewhere you've got to forgive and you've got to move to try to bring comfort to those people. That's what God is saying here through Paul. See, he says, you should forgive and comfort them so they won't give up in despair. Because there's a lot of folks who have given up ever believing that they can have a relationship with you. Despair is taking over. And if they've done wrong behavior and you're not willing to forgive and comfort them, they may do it again with someone else and someone else and now they begin thinking, I just can't have a relationship with anybody. Because nobody moves to forgiveness with comfort. You see, we think if I forgive them, I'm just telling them it's okay what they did. No, it's never saying it's okay when you forgive. It's saying I'm willing to move on. And the evidence is I'm going to offer you comfort. Because I don't want you to get caught up in despair from the wrong actions you do. I'm going to tell you, that's why a lot of people walking in schools with guns. They don't feel forgiveness and comfort, so they're going to get even. And you know what? And a and great term everybody likes to use, I don't know, I think we use it too loosely, is, I was bullied, so I did it. Matter of fact, now they try to find out why somebody did what they did because he's bullied. You see, we need to offer forgiveness and comfort. I want to ask you, how would you like to be known for the rest of your life by the worst thing you ever did? Then why don't you forgive that bad thing the person did to you And bring comfort to them. See, that's what He tells them to do in the church. Okay? He says, so they won't give up in despair. Look at verse 8. You should. You should. You see, forgiveness is not an option. It's a choice. That's what He's saying. He's already told them what they ought to do. You should. See, you should make this choice so that you make them sure of your love for them. Wow! Wow! to love somebody, to hurt you. If you were here for the first video, you saw that young man break out in tears and the dad didn't want him to give a lot of explanation when he started to say, I'm sorry if you caught it real quick. He said, no. I just want you to know I forgive you. And I expect you to change. And that young man just hugged him and cried. Made me cry. I said, God, please, when I preach... May some people come to that experience of that dad whose daughter was killed because of the wrong choice of the young man. And then this lady, this lady, her words. And even though the person she was angry at was dead, she wrote a letter to release that hurt, to offer the forgiveness. Look at verse 10 there in 2 Corinthians. Yes, for whose sake, folks? The person who's experiencing the hurt. You see, some of you parents still tell epic stories about your kids. And it just gnaws at you when you do. And you just say, oh, I'm just kidding. For your sake, and with Christ as my witness, I have forgiven whatever needed to be forgiven verse 11 I have done this to keep Satan from getting the better of us and so let's just understand this sin causes broken people to do hurtful things to one another from the very beginning of the bible through the end of the bible we see that Saul who I mean Paul who wrote this was a part of killing a man many christian people but a man in particular named Timothy when Timothy was being stoned as Saul took part in making that possible Timothy, who knew Jesus Christ, looked to heaven and asked God to forgive those people. They just don't understand the hurt they're causing. You see, people who follow Jesus learn to live and love like Jesus. And so we are in a spiritual warfare. Satan does not want you. And the sad thing is, often it's people with great potential. Satan does not want you to live the potential that God has given you. He wants you to be caught by your hurt. Isolate yourself. Pull away. And so Paul is saying, I've done this. I've shared this with you to keep Satan from getting the better of you. And I share this with you because you're in a spiritual battle. It's not with me. It's not with a person who hurt you. It's with the devil who has put in your mind thoughts that you hold on to that keep hurting you and you need to say, Satan, that's enough. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. Now listen. And then you just turn around and five minutes later, you're going to think those thoughts again. You need to say, Satan, I rebuke you. and I'm going to do what God says. And I'm going to forgive. I'm going to do what the Bible says. You see, there's a lot of people go around and say, rebuke the devil. Who then refuse to live as God would want them to live. I share this with you because you're in a spiritual battle if you have an epic story of someone hurt you. You need to forgive them and you need to let it go. Just because someone hurt you in the past does not mean that you need to continue letting that hurt cause you to have pain in the present. Forgive. Let's bow together and then we're finished after the prayer. Father, just help us to receive... The words that Samuel wrote about King David, his relationship with, I mean, King Saul and his relationship with David and with Jonathan and his servants. Help us to receive the words that Paul shared, who personally knew what having hurtful feelings toward others could cause you to do. And Father, help us to recognize that every one of us is in a spiritual battle. And Satan wants to keep us. Wants to keep us from living life as You want instead of the way we want. Help us, God. We need that. We need that so that our lives would bring glory to Jesus. Amen. Amen.